Welcome to the Realized Gains Podcast, a guide to real estate investing. Join our co-hosts, Jordan Lee and Stephen Tran, as we interview a diverse group of real estate investors, both amateur and professional. Our goal is to help you understand that anyone can invest in real estate. Tune in to hear creative strategies and learn from both our mistakes and our successes. You can find us where you love to listen to podcasts, on YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com. What makes one piece of land developable while another is not? First, it starts with the zoning, okay. right? So so what people don't understand and what people, uh, the myth out there is that, you know, builders are greedy, developers are greedy, and they're money-grubbing, right? What they don't understand is that the, the municipalities, the, the counties dictate density, right? Right. So if a builder finds a piece of, of land, the county's going to say, you have to build X amount of homes on it based upon the zoning. Right. So when you're looking at land, you're looking at access, you're looking at, is it easy for... And by access, you mean access for streets, streets, utilities, sewer, right? Water power, all of that. Uh, So do you have easy access? Hey guys, welcome to episode 12 of the Portland Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm Stephen Tran, Oregon licensed realtor, uh, and I'm also a multifamily investor. And my name is Jordan Lee. I'm your co-host and I am a mortgage lender based in Portland, Oregon. I licensed in about 12 states and I invest in single family real estate. Yeah. And today we have a really great episode. I'd say it's a real estate agent special. Mm. You know, I think as an agent, I'm always trying to sell the home, but I never think how can I sell the land? Because sometimes that's the best value. Yeah, sometimes the value is in the dirt. Yeah. And uh, we interviewed Tamika Warren. Uh, she's a former restaurant owner. And when things went sour, she turned to becoming an agent. Mm. Um, and she's done a really great job. Uh, she really works on selling new construction. She's mm-hmm. built relationships with a lot of developers in the area. So that's her a big part of her business. Uh, and she has a wealth of knowledge of knowing the needs of developers. Um, such as, hey, do they have the right connections for utilities and services, and are they zoned correctly? Mm. Yeah, another thing that Tamiko does in this interview is that she talks a little bit about opportunity zones, and um, it, it's a kind of a fairly recent thing that the federal government did, and it's really all over a lot of Portland, and it and it created um, a tax haven for investors and developers. Um, of course, neither of us are CPAs, and we don't give tax advice, but um, you, you're going to want to tune into this episode to learn about it because it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. And I mean, we all love saving money, so that's right. Yeah. So dive in. Hey everyone. And thanks so much for tuning in to the Portland real estate investing podcast. I'm here with my co-host Stephen Tran and our guest today is Tamika Warren. Hello. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us Tamika. Can, do you mind just like giving us a quick, you know, one, two about yourself, how you got into real estate, what your background is? Sure. So I uh, have been licensed since December 3rd of 2002, and I got into real estate. 20 years. 20 wow. years. Wow. 20 Congratulations. years. Congratulations. Yeah. That's, that's a long, long ride. 
I had a restaurant for a number of years before that. I saw that in your bio. Yeah. And I was going to ask yeah. about that later. <laughs> yeah, TK Smokehouse and Barbecue. So, yeah, let's talk Let's talk about that. Yeah, we had, oh, such good food. Where so, was it? So I started over in Cedar Mill on Barnes and Cornell. Okay. So right across from the Bales Thriftway, which is now the new fancy Target. Uh-huh. And they were your recipes? or They were my recipes, my recipes Amazing. family recipes. And then I was courted by Roy Kim, who owns the Bethany, owns most of Bethany, uh, the shopping center there. And so I moved over to uh, the Bethany location on Central and Bethany, right on the corner across from the fountain and Starbucks. So I had a, had a restaurant for a number of years. Builders ate at the restaurant. Uh, had great friends that were in real estate. Mm. And when I closed the restaurant after... The sort of the first downturn okay. of our economy, the dot com bust that was early two thousands. Oh, okay, uh, you know I had a lot of Intel clients, a lot right, of Intel right. and Nike, right? And so when that hit, my my lunch business dropped forty six percent right off the bat. Really? Mm -hmm. And so you were pretty heavy lunch. Very heavy lunch, and uh, we were seven days. We had oh. a southern breakfast on on the weekends, and after that decline, it just continued. So catering petered out. And then we had 9-11 mm -hmm. and all of my bar customers, like, you know, your typical bar flies, like it was crickets. Really? It was crickets. So, oh, so, uh, so I ended up closing the restaurant in October of 2002. Uh, did you, were you able to sell the business or was it? Oh, no. It's no. not, no, there's no one buying there. Yeah, no. and, and was the real estate, did you own the real estate or was it a no, lease? It, it was a lease. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So unraveled from that, uh, had a big stake, cried my eyes out, and, <laughs> and then decided, okay, what next? <laughs> <laughs> Time to reinvent myself. Exactly. So uh, one of my dearest friends, uh, had been in real estate and, and was licensed in 93 and at that time said, hey, come with me. And I was like, no, not gonna. And at that time, I was a, a dispatcher and trainer for OEC for Portland 911, making good money early. in my early 20s, right? And so I was like, no, I'm, I'm gonna decline. <laughs> and so I followed her uh, when I closed the restaurant. So wow, got into real estate then, took my license, uh, or took my, my boards in December. I studied November, took my, took my test in December, and, and started at John L. Scott. Cool. And what was your, at that time, what was your sort of experience or sort of mentality around real estate? Did you own your home? Did you, had you invested at all? Or I had not you? invested. I did. Yeah. I bought my first home in 93. Okay. Okay. With my girlfriend. And, uh. Oh, you bought it with a friend. Uh-huh. Oh, nice. Uh -huh. And I can't, I, I didn't have, I didn't really have any experience in real estate okay. at that time. And so when I got into real estate, a lot of my clients from the restaurants uh, became my real estate clients. All right? your all your friends. Yeah. yeah so so they knew they knew they, they knew that I they they knew my character. Right. They didn't know if I was competent or not. <laughs> <laughs> but they gave me a shot. And so that first year I think I ended up with just over six million in volume and wow. And you know, this is back That's when, back in the day. That's a good that's first a, year. Yeah, that's right? a great year. Yeah. That's, and, that's uh, a great first year now. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not so much now. Um, but back in the day we didn't have, you know, the internet. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. So I really I really did um, I did a lot of for sale by owners, a lot of expires, a lot of door knocking. Uh, you know, the the listings that I took, I I advertised as coming soon back then, mm -hmm. right? 
uh, 20 years ago. And so. what did the coming soon advertisement look like then? Just signs in the neighborhood and, and uh -huh. phone calls and yeah. <laughs> door yeah. knocking. Door knocking. Yeah. I mean, that's like 1970s real estate, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah, a lot of door knocking. Wow. And I had sold vacuums in college, so I wasn't... I wasn't opposed to door knocking. Okay. I, I knew that grind. So, and at the time I was a single mom. So, you know, so you, you do what you got to do. That's fair. Yeah. So that's how I got started. And are you still to this day keeping door knocking as part of your practice or did you? You know, I don't do as much door knocking anymore. I, I really, my business is, is all referral based. Uh -huh. And then uh, a heavy part of it is new construction. I represent a, a local builder. And so I don't really do much door knocking anymore. For listings, residential listings, I will. Sort gotcha. of prospecting. Can I ask how you got into uh, new construction and how you built that oh. relationship? Yes. Yeah, for all of us like newer to the industry, that's always the holy, holy, holy grail. It's like you get in with a builder and you're just like retiring. Here's some help. This tell them to me, please. It's super yeah. easy. Like you don't have to do any work, right? <laughs> what I what I loved about new construction is anytime I had a first-time home buyer, you know, they would look at hmm. residential uh, homes, and there's always right the HVA system needs mm -hmm. to be fixed, the mm -hmm. roof is in decline. You know, there's just there's so much meat on a residential uh, resale home that as a new buyer, you may not have the funds mm. to upkeep, right? Or, or to, uh, to, uh, I lost my- Do any renovations. Yeah, you, yeah, do, do you right. take care of the- Yeah, take care of what, what the deferred uh, When I bought was. my first home, that was like the first thing on my list is I don't want to do something, I don't want to buy something where I have to make a bunch of repairs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, I. I started looking at new construction, and my my girlfriend uh, was uh, heavy into new construction, so that's what that's the route I took. And so, having buyers go look at a new home versus a used home uh, really made sense for them, pocketbook wise, right? Oh, so, plus, when you were getting started, there was plenty of supply of new oh, homes too. Yeah, yeah. So lots of supply of new homes, and I just kept selling this one builder over and over again, and so I ended up being courted by that builder. Oh, interesting. So they saw they saw you as a as a buyer's agent selling a lot of your mm -hmm. homes. And like, hey, she she should work for us. Yeah, that's okay. exactly. So that's how I that's how I ended up in new construction in two thousand five. Okay, and so you've been with that builder since then. No, so I worked with that builder until two thousand ten. Okay. So we're we're right in the heat of our recession, right? When everyone's starting to go out of business. Yeah, <laughs> and and I'm kind of thick in the head sometimes. I'm I'm I blame it on my Aries. My, uh, I'm in Aries too, so I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so so we can be stubborn. Yeah. And and the builder said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna put everybody on salary." And I thought, oh, I don't wanna, I don't want my income being determined by somebody else. Mm -hmm. So I thought, in the middle of a recession, it would be smart to go out on my own. <laughs> so I did. Nice. It's a good challenge, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know. It was a challenge, <laughs> that's for sure. So I I moved my. Uh, license over to Keller Williams. Okay. And that's when I started with Keller. Okay. And so that was, I mean, 2011, 12, and 13 were super painful. Mm. I'm, I mean, it was, a, it was a struggle. And what I found was that I was really good at short sales. And in that market at that time, most agents were putting the home on the market, getting an offer, then negotiating with the bank. And what I thought was, well, why don't we negotiate with the bank first? And have them accept oh, short interesting. sale. Interesting, yeah. And then put it on the market. Okay. So that's what I did. 
And so I specialized in short sales for that time. So even though you had been in real estate for a long time, it's there's still sometimes you have to reinvent your career, re restart. You really have to be you really have to be nimble and adaptive because change is change is always afoot. Yeah. Right? Always. And and so you can't be stagnant in your thinking. You just you really have to always look for the opportunity and look for the open door. Great message to newer agents now, right? As the market is starting to shift to something that I mean, for most of us, we haven't seen. Never seen, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for our agent listeners, I did want to come back to the new construction part. I, I'm assuming you got back into new construction recently after that whole short sale period. Yes. So, yes. So I went, uh, so I ended up bringing land deals to a builder that they would look at and uh, nothing penciled out for them. And... Uh, he came back to me and said, hey, you know, we we have this plat that sort of, it's it's flailing. Yeah. It's it's not seeing the momentum that we mm. think should be seeing, especially for its location. And I said, okay, I'm, you know, I'm happy to look at it and, and see what you're doing as far as marketing. And what I, what I found, in my opinion, they were marketing to the wrong set of what I call eyeballs. Ah, wrong so, end buyer, huh? Yeah, wrong, really. And, and so my suggestion to them was to increase their pricing. And that was unheard of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, what? I said, well, you're in the wrong market. Mm. So so by increasing the, the price point, it got them into a different segment of, of the uh, market. And they flew. Interesting. Yeah. So from that time, they said, okay, well, Maybe this is a one-off. <laughs> maybe, maybe she doesn't really know what she's talking about. So they gave me another so gave you, set of homes. Gave you another one, yeah. And again, it was their pricing was here and my pricing was here, and they were like, "They're they're never going to sell for that." And I said, "Yeah, they will. That's the market." <laughs> like you're asking me my opinion. So uh, sold those homes, and then they gave me another sixteen lot uh, community. Mm. In a completely different market, and they said, "Okay, what about this?" And I went about my business and sold those homes. And then they uh, they had uh, an agent who was relocating, and this was at the start of COVID. Oh wow! So this agent was relocating. This uh, plat was by a cemetery. Okay. In Hillsboro. Not the best location, but it had a lake. Oh, and so, so if you watch my Instagram, you'll see videos of me showing off the lake. <laughs> and so that was, they thought, okay, the, you know, this this community was not moving mm. the way it was supposed to. Again, increased pricing, uh, increased marketing, increased video, increased exposure, and accentuate the highlights. Right. Yeah. So great community. Your neighbors are super quiet. Right. Because it's a cemetery, um, no one's going to bother you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say. I mean, I, there's in so many segments you can, you know, like raising the price is a better idea. Like when you raise, like for example, in my short-term rental, you know, I kept getting 
let's just say less than stellar quality guests <laughs> and then when I raised the price I got better guests yes. so it's kind of like a similar thought like it hey, is it's, it is you know you people are I guess the higher like it's like getting like an A class property versus right. a C class right. property exactly. they're paying more but they also treat the place better right that's exactly sense. right that's exactly right so right. we found that that was the formula uh, with with their communities and this was all through one one specific builder. Mm -hmm. And it was, how did you build this relationship? Was it with um, someone from your previous um, builder connections, or no? It wasn't. It was uh, he had actually come to speak at Keller Williams oh. uh, when I was okay. there, and you know they talk about how they they partner with agents when they find land and bring us the land deal. We'll give you the list backs. And so I continued to bring land deals to them. They just never penciled. And so that relationship, the original meeting at, at KW, to bringing him deals, even though they didn't pencil, I was top of mind. Mm. And so when they had a question... So even when you get a no, it could, exactly. be, it could be a yes later exactly. on, right? Exactly. And, you know, you never treat no's as, as final, right. right? And you never burn a bridge. Mm -hmm. you, you treat everybody with respect, mm -hmm. right, and courtesy. And, and so I just, you know, kept doing... What I do, and eventually that no, even though the the deals never penciled out, what it did show them was, um, it it put me in their mind. Mm -hmm. That you're so, trying, that you've got connections. That yeah, and so when they had a question, they reached out and, and they had reached out to other agents, their other agents that they work with, and I was the only different answer. <laughs> right. So sometimes it's, sometimes. It's not about going with the flow. It's about thinking outside the box. Mm. Oh, I love that. And, uh, you know, for agents who are looking to get into, you know, like working with a builder in new construction, like how does that commission structure look like? I know you mentioned with your previous builder that they were on a salary structure. Like is, is it comparable to doing like resale in terms of the commission numbers? Oh, they're huge. Okay. They're really, yeah. Working with a builder is, is very lucrative. Uh, when you're when you're on-site sales, builders pay differently. Right? Okay. So most of our most of our nationals, like the Toll Brothers or the Dior Hortons or Lennar, they have in-house sales teams, right? right? So when you work for that builder, you're you're a W two right. yeah, versus a ten ninety nine. So the pay structure is completely different. Local builders, this the builder that I represent, the commissions are. Very nice. <laughs> they're like, very nice. Right? Let's just say like standard is 2.25 or 2.5, so they're higher than that when you're working directly with a builder? This builder in particular, yes. Okay. Yeah. I need to get their names. No, I'm just kidding. But it's a, a two-way street, right? So if, if, you're, if you're making them money, yeah. right, they're happy to pay you. Mm -hmm. and, and we're happy to co-op with with all of our, our great agents out there, right? So so if you wanted to get into new construction, my my advice would be understand who the players are, right? Mm. Know who the builders are, know what they specialize in, know what they're looking for, and then go look for the land, right? Because if, if our local builders, right, so our locals uh, besides West Hills, uh, Westwood Homes, uh, Noise Development, uh, Riverside, uh, Jason Sage, Sage Built Homes, right? All of these local builders, they need land. And there's only a couple of uh, really big land players uh, in town. And uh, 
So if you can find little infill lots, hmm. you know, sometimes they build one or two or three or fours if the, if the number's pencil right. Gotcha. So look for the land. Okay. And don't think about land as being bare, right? Think about land as, okay, I have a house on it, but it's on a quarter acre lot. What if I get the neighbors to go in, right? Have those conversations. That's when you're doing that. Yeah, that was, so that was the next question. Like, wh how are you finding these diamonds in the rough, just so to speak? Because, like, the builders, they want to focus on building, right? Um, but, you, but the value for you to bring them is the land. How are you finding this land in a way that other people aren't doing so, well, the, the last couple of deals that I put together were from my sphere. Okay. Right. So I uh, happened to put one together that was the last sort of large buildable plot in Washington County. In and, the, and, and the owner, like, they didn't necessarily realize that it was something that you could, instead of just selling their home to the public, hey, maybe you could. Exactly. You, you were able to look at that and be like, oh, this, this would work really well with a builder. Exactly. And what are some of the so what are the, some of the things that you look for when you're when you're trying to identify that? As far as the land? Yeah, like just for for the lay for the lay person, what 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 makes one piece of land developable while another is not? First it starts with the zoning. Okay. Right? So so what people don't understand and what people uh, the myth out there is that, you know, builders are greedy, developers are greedy and, and they're money grubbing, right? What they don't understand is that the, the municipalities, the, the counties dictate density, right. right? So if a builder finds a piece of, of land, the county's going to say, you have to build X amount of homes on it based upon the zoning. Right. So when you're looking at land, you're looking at access, you're looking at, is it easy for... And, and by access, you mean access for streets? Streets, for utilities, sewer, right? Water power, all of that. Uh, so do you have easy access? You know, somebody who, like all of this uh, land that's out in South Hillsborough, right, was mm -hmm. all farmland, Yep. right? So you're looking at, okay, well, how easy is it to bring in power? How mm -hmm. easy is it to bring in sewer, water, right, streets? Uh, what folks don't understand is that when a builder is looking at land, from the time that that land is under contract to the time that you see streets and curbs, that's about an 18 to 24 month period, right? Right. So the land use takes a really long time. And what a lot of agents don't understand is that timeline. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of agents aren't that patient, right? So rather so, just be done with it quickly and yeah. go ahead and get on the next one. Or they think that it can be done quickly, mm -hmm. right? So they're, they're engaging their clients and, and really giving them the wrong information or wrong ex expectations. Mm. Uh, because the timeline is is so lengthy, but what you're looking for is you're looking for can I can I put together one, two, or three lots and 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 create a plat, right? Okay. Uh, so when you say a plat, you're saying you, you mean like multiple lots together that would be a developable area, basically where a developer can come in and build three or four homes. Yeah, a plot is a plot is. Uh, let's say you've got three or four lots, and now you're looking at what type of how many homes, mm -hmm. what's the layout, what's the size, and then how how is it laid out. So th that's a plot. Okay. Uh, so so when I say put together a plot, it's can I put one or two or three pieces of property together to create a plot for a builder that can put 20 homes on it or whatever the number is, right? right? Uh, depending on the zoning. 
So that's what you're looking for. Um, and the last two that were put together were, were folks out of my sphere that said, hey, we want to sell our home. And I said, hey, uh, that's developable. So we're not selling the home, we're selling the land. Okay. And so this is the process. Oh, okay. And so then in that case, are you advising them to like rezone it or, or no, do they don't stuff have to ahead do of time before they sell to the developer or are you? No, are they you don't have to do the, anything. Okay. We're, we're just, we're putting, we're putting buyer and seller together, right? No different than, right, right. than any other. But um, you're looking for a different buyer. Looking for totally a very different, different buyer, buyer. Got it. Right? Makes sense. So, and, and not, off, maybe off market. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, cause it's really not a, one of the properties I put on the market, but it was, um, it was more to uh, look at maybe California developer, mm. somebody outside of our marketplace. Oh, interesting. Right? Because uh, it's kind of, a, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty tight-knit group. Uh, yep. Builders and developers. So, so for my clients, it was, the conversation is, we're not selling your house. Yeah. What we're doing is we're looking for a specific developer builder mm. uh, who, who can take you through the process and it means that you're not closing for 18 to 24 months. You're not getting money mm. until we're done, right? right? So it's it's educating your clients on the process, mm. setting the proper expectations, and then having those relationships in the community that you can put buyer and seller together. Okay, interesting. So, yeah, and so that case for the seller, you're saying that they're not going to – they might not close or get their money for 18 to 24 months. So in that time period – What's going on with the land and the house? Are they still able to like you know live there sure. and everything? Sure. Uh, so with both of the most recent clients, the client is in uh, out of state, so the house is vacant. Okay. Land is vacant. The other client is living in the home. So the process is we go under contract. They the developer builder does their first preliminary run, let's mm -hmm. say at the at the plat to see if the numbers will work right. and to see if they can do what they want to do with the county. Okay. So they have their first meetings mm -hmm. and they're spending a lot of money at this time. Right. They have to pay for those meetings. With the, yeah. Yep, and, and they have to pay for, for engineering studies mm -hmm. and environmental studies. And okay. they have a lot of due diligence. So what they'll do is after their first set of due diligence, where they really have a green light, they'll deposit large, a portion of earnest money. And it's typically a large sum, mm -hmm. anywhere from five to 10% oh, okay. of the purchase price. Uh, and so, after that, they'll have the final, um, final due diligence, which is really is about engineering and making sure that the understanding what the county is going to require them to do, right. and then improve what X frontage exactly, you, exactly. And then you, you you know you've got a set of meetings, you've got to have the pre-application meetings and and notice to the neighborhood. So so for the client who's living in the home, he's seeing all of this. Right. action right so right. people are coming out to the property yeah, yeah. And flags are being posted and and you know lines being drawn in and so uh i can see how if you don't set the expectations right yeah. this could be a hard process right. for somebody for, yeah i was curious somebody in my yard <laughs> i mean there's all this this whole process that you're talking about this is after the deal is kind of technically closed or no, no this is so the whole the whole process is 18 to 24 18 before to 24 months because i was going to ask if there's any like uh land sale horror stories where they purchased a lot and then they couldn't develop at all or anything like that not so much that i'll i will say that you know back in the early 2000s right in the first run-up where we were lending was out of control mm -hmm. and and housing was out of control uh 
builders sort of got over their skis in, in um, uh, purchase of land and, and options for land. Right. Uh, and then and the market crashed. Yeah, suddenly yeah. financing wasn't available for exactly. spec builds or whatever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so I don't have any personal horror stories. Uh, I do know that you know, there was a time when a homeowner, say yourself, was under contract with a builder and then the market crashed and now the builder can't develop and you're expecting all of this money and you might have planned, right, your life yeah, uh, yep. to move forward in a manner that no longer is, is or no longer was available. And yep. that's why you have a larger earnest money deposit. Yeah. Because yeah. you'll still be able to get that earnest money, but you won't necessarily be able to get the end um, what you'd originally agreed on. What it, and, and okay, so the sacrifice is it takes a longer period of time. What do you? What is the seller looking like, looking at and benefit in terms of sale of their home, selling to the open market versus selling to a developer? Well, I mean, it's it's completely different, right? The builder doesn't care about your house or, right. or its systems. It's not going to look for an inspection. Right. Their their so process. So if your roof is in bad shape yeah, or whatever, bad. you're not going to just going to bulldoze it anyway. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> and so, so the benefit to a seller is that you know a lot of times they can just leave everything as it is mm. and where it is, even their personal property. Yeah. Right. Uh, unless that's written differently in sure. under contracts. So for a seller to sell to a developer process is just easier mm -hmm. it just takes longer it just takes more time mm -hmm. and of course they're getting better value right? yeah it's not just are we talking like double the value or, or well it, it just depends on how many how depends. many yeah yeah so the let's see the last one that we did uh five acre we'll get like oh i can't remember what the number is now millions and and so they're going to get multi millions. And what they what would they if they would have sold it on the open market? What would that have looked like? Well, if they had sold it on an open market with just an agent who doesn't understand right. land development, yeah. then you're just looking at the value of the house. Yeah. On on a large piece of property. Uh, but gosh, I can't imagine any agent taking that listing and not understanding the oh, value well, of that, it. That, so that they would see it as just a house, and it's like, yeah. oh yeah, they happen to have farmland. Great. So yeah. get it for three hundred grand or something. Or, Whatever's reasonable, five hundred grand plus. Oh yeah, you can have cows and <laughs> things like that. You know, have fun. You're a little private oasis. But I mean, to me, that's a huge. Uh, I mean, that's super important for for the lake because a lot of people don't know that. I mean, like when I bought my home, for example, I had no idea what what the um, zoning or whatever was, and I, I just called the city because I was curious, and they're like, "Oh yeah." You can um, you can parcel off two lots there if you'd like, um, oh, nice. and you could also build an ADU. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then after I made that call, I had immediately decided, all right, I'm going to go through with this purchase because I know there's more value in the home long. And the term. home wasn't marketed that way. No, no, not at all. Now yeah. see, now that left money on the table. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it could have been a lot more expensive, I guess. <laughs> it should have been. <laughs> yeah, well, I think for the average consumer, right, and who's your end buyer, like right. you're saying, that's nobody wants to go through that process because it takes time, it takes money, it takes, you know, connections. It's, it's hard for the average consumer to find that value. But um, if you know your end buyer, to your point, um, you can get a lot more value than... than you anticipate. Yeah. Well, but you also have a fiduciary a responsibility and duty, right, mm -hmm. to your to your seller to understand their value. True. Right? So that you're marketing it to multiple people. 
right? Right. So, so for that listing, they should have been looking for small developers in fill lots, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Vic Rimmers is, is a great guy who does that right. a lot, in addition to all of the other stuff that he does. Uh, but th that's that's the purpose of our of our position is to know what our sellers don't know, right? right? And to really educate your clients as to what they can do so that you know that you're marketing to the right people. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm sure like a lot of agents are just so narrow-minded. It's like, I'm selling a house. This is a house. This is what I'm doing. So, right. You know, it's kind of eye-opening for a lot of people. It's like, oh, yeah, they did have two acres. You know, like, this yeah. is awesome. Maybe I should do something with this. And sometimes a seller might look at, oh, I can make a, you know, a little bit more. Um, maybe it's a lot more even, but I can't wait 24 months. Like, I need to sell. Sure. So, sure. yeah, in that case, they just sell to however they could, right? But gosh, why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're able to, right? Yeah. That's the, that's because that's the value of your equity that you've put your time and money into. Yeah. No. And, and so in terms of that, like, I guess that sort of mindset and knowledge is there for newer agents that are kind of want to get into that. And that understanding is that, I mean, besides like reading the zoning codes, which I've tried to do a lot of times, <laughs> I always struggle with that. How do you like build that kind of knowledge base and understanding um, besides just having experience it's, with it's, it. It's no different than not focusing on new construction and understanding your market, mm -hmm. right? Understanding your market means touring, touring the inventory, mm. right? So, so if you wanted to start with new construction, know who the builders are, mm. right? And there's builders and there's developers and there's builder developers, right? There are builders that don't develop the land. They don't do any of the, the, horizontal they only do vertical right okay and then there are builders who are also developers who can develop the land and build the vertical so they'll go through the rezoning process yeah. the bulldozing and, and yeah. permitting and everything versus someone that'll just buy something that's already ready to go and right. just start building so so going back to your house had i had if i had a client with that unique property i might tell the client Let's go through the process of, of parsing out those three lots mm -hmm. and finding a developer to build, to sell those lots to, right? Mm -hmm. Or you can say, hey, I'm, I have the means and I have the time and I have the energy to go through the land use process myself to get those three lots mm -hmm. uh, permitted, mm -hmm. right? So now they're finished lots. Mm -hmm. They just need to be sold to a developer. So, so there's, there's a number of things that you should be looking at when you're looking at uh, a lot or a house that has uh, additional lots, um, historic lots underneath. Uh, but if you wanted to get into new construction, one, know who the know who the players are, tour the inventory so that yeah. you know their product, and know what their their value propositions are. Right? Like if you're talking toll house, if I'm uh, if I have a buyer and and they want to know about the different builders, well, okay, well, Toll Brothers is is a national builder, and they're like the Cadillac of new construction. Mm -hmm. right? They're beautiful homes mm. um, versus uh, Ichijo, which is a Japanese builder. Mm. Amazing homes, right? Mm. They build amazing, super high energy efficient homes, right? So understanding who the builders are, who the developers are and knowing what their product is. Okay. Right. And then, and then introducing your, introducing yourself to those agents. When I got into new construction, I knew every single new construction agent out there. Mm. And, and, that makes sense. And sometimes they, you know, they they don't like to co-op sometimes because they they get a bigger piece of sure, the pie. Sure. Yeah. If they double right? it. Sure, sure. Sure. So, uh, and that's not a deterrent. You you have an obligation to understand what the market is giving you. So, 
So I just I show up. <laughs> what you got now? What's for sale? <laughs> Send me your price sheet. <laughs> give me your give me your house files and your collateral, right? Yeah. Know the floor plans. Oh. So Oh, I was going to ask a question about sellers and like, you know, if you were suggesting them to like parcel out the land and everything, I, I actually went through this process a little bit. I didn't actually get the, the lot, but I was going to purchase a lot and then split it up. With yeah. these sellers, are you working with them through the entire process of splitting it up? And what does that look like? Because I was told like this might cost me a hundred grand or, you know, 150 grand to pay the city to parcel it up. Can you kind of go through that process a little bit? It's expensive and yeah. each county is different. Multnomah mm -hmm. County is the worst. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yes, it can be very expensive. So that's why I'm saying if you have the means, if you have the financial means and you have the time and you have the patience, it, it still takes a long time, right? It still takes that maybe not 18 to 24 months, but it still takes six months. I yeah. mean, land use approvals are, are horrifically slow. And uh, so what that looks like is going to the county, having your first, uh, your first advisory meeting, mm -hmm. right? So they pull up your lot, they look at, all, all of the things that are associated with your lot. Are there any overlays for your lot, like wetland overlays or, or preserves that, that uh, have to be mitigated or, or dealt with or uh, avoided? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's a lengthy process and 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 it's an expensive one. Oh yeah. No, I, I remember because I was I was thinking about it and I was like, I have to pull an extra hundred grand to split this lot into. Three or four. Yeah, but the point though is right that you you're so your land cost you want your land cost to be no more than twenty five to thirty percent of your overall and uh, mm. your exit right. right. Mm -hmm. So if you're splitting your one lot into three and it's going to cost you a hundred grand right so thirty three thousand for each lot or whatever the number is if you got four lots twenty five thousand right so then you want to know what your what you can sell in that market. So what type of home am I putting on that, on those four lots now? Right. And what type of price point is that, right? That justifies to your land cost. So you, you could have gone through that process. I could have. No, I, we lost out on that deal by $5,000. Oh, no. I know. I, know, I mean, I would have learned a lot. I might have gone broke. Who knows? I mean, it was, it was a little daunting at the time. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a risk taker, so I'm kind of glad I, I, I didn't uh, – jump into this whole process because I would have gone in completely blind, but I think I'd be open to it now if, yeah. <laughs> given the opportunity. I mean, the, the one thing, right, that we all know is that you, you really don't learn until you do. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so, and so if you fail, you know, fail forward, yep. keep doing learning. A failure is a learning experience. Right? It, it really is. It really is. Uh, teachable moments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It could have been extremely lucrative or, the complete opposite. Yeah. So, you know. yeah, exactly. You might have lost your shorts. <laughs> exactly. Hopefully not, but but those those are, you know, Portland is is uh, Portland is is known for having what you call historic lots. Mm. Um, lots underneath a house, right? So, I had a house up in uh, Rose City area. And it was a corner lot and it was on a quarter of an acre and there were uh, four historic lot lines underneath the plot so okay. this is what you find out right so this is it could have been just listing a house for a house 
Oh, and because historically it had four lots there, then it made the it would make the partitioning or subdividing, whatever it's called, exactly. e easier process. Exactly. Okay. So the infrastructure is already set up there for the city, basically. Right. So instead of 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 selling a house, what we were selling is developable lots. Developable four lots. Yeah. yeah. So take the house down. Uh, took the house down. Turned the four lots, did a lot line adjustment into two lots, right? So you could build two skinny homes. Mm. And in the city of Portland, that was fantastic. So that's what we did. And I feel like in Portland and, and many of the other cities across the country with urban growth boundaries, everyone's kind of on the mindset. Most of the municipalities in general are on the mindset of we need more housing, right? Housing is an issue. So going through the subdivision process is what they want, right? It's what the municipalities want for sure, right? You want property taxpayers. Yeah, well, you want more <laughs> property taxes and, and just more housing in general. Yeah, and we've been we've been behind since the recession, mm -hmm. so and we have not caught up yet. And and that's the other sort of uh, myth is that we we lack land. We don't lack land. We have lots of land. What we have is a defined area in which we can play, mm -hmm. right? So this UGB. Uh, when you have an uh, urban growth boundary and your developers and builders are required to build within those bounds, it makes the land expensive to begin with. Right. Right. So when you talk about uh, you've got expensive land to begin with, coupled with now supply issues, right? right? Uh, so your costs are increasing, your labor is increasing, everything to build is increasing, yep. and yet they want affordable housing. Yeah, well, it's hard to reconcile those things. <laughs> it's it's very hard, and so uh, yeah, I mean it 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 makes it makes catching up difficult. Absolutely, seems like there's probably a good opportunity there <laughs> somehow. <laughs> well, somebody's sitting on a border of of the UGB somewhere, yeah. right? Yeah. So I would start looking at those. That's a good point. Yeah. Right? So speaking of like encouraging development, um, we've. We haven't really on the, our show talked about the op opportunity zones. Um, maybe you can just give us a quick, I know you've presented on this in the past, um, but maybe you can just give us a quick, uh, for the layperson, like what is an opportunity zone and why it's something you might you know, want to pay attention to? I, I'm by no means an expert in, in opportunity zones. My, my broad understanding is Fed said, hey, listen, we need to encourage some construction and uh, development in areas, uh, downtown Portland. In, in urban areas, yeah. basically. Right? Yeah. And so the Fed said to the states, you know, reach out to the counties, start start uh, picking your, your, your maps of where you want these opportunity zones to exist. So the counties went out and they said, we want everything, uh, thinking that the Feds would dwindle that back, but they mm. didn't. So in an opportunity zone, there is, uh, it's a, it's a five-year process. So from, I believe it ends in 2026, the current, the way the, the opportunity zone is currently written, that ends in 2026. But what that means is if you've got a buddy who is uh, selling a building, Mm -hmm. Right. You would go to the opportunity zone map. There is one. Mm -hmm. And you would look at his specific street to see if he's in that pink zone. The pink zone is right. the opportunity zone. So what that does is it means that 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 might be an added benefit for your seller 
because it's an added benefit to the end user for taxation, right? right. It's sort of, it's, it's a tax shelter. So an opportunity zone says, hey, we, we want to encourage development or encourage money, uh, influx of money in these, in these locations. And so you can create a fund and that fund can buy that building in that OZ and be tax free for, uh, I can't remember what the period of time is, but uh, basically if, if you're taking, if you're taking gains from something, mm -hmm. like say you sold your Amazon stock and now you, instead of paying taxes on that, you throw it into an opportunity zone fund that, that gain uh -huh. is never realized. Oh, interesting. Because is it deferred or it's just... It's not deferred. It's not even deferred. It's just eliminated. It's eliminated. Okay, so you're basically saying I could take my capital gains from any investment and use it to purchase an Opportunity Zone uh, investment. So any you developer right now is highly motivated to build in those areas. Oh, absolutely. Because they can, if they have tax liability, they can eliminate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do I have to build? Could I just buy a house? and You can buy. Just yeah. buy and just like, okay, there's... No capital gains on the set. No capital gains. How about the other way? What if I have a house in an opportunity zone and I sell it and I make capital gains on that? How does that work? So the 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 opportunity zone has to have a fund. Okay. So because you own that home and you sell it, you don't you don't get the benefit of that taxation. Mm -hmm. uh, it's only as an investor or a developer or builder if you're buying that house with funds in an opportunity zone fund, and those are gains realized from something else, you're not paying taxes. I see, because the motivation is for people, the developers to come in and buy stuff, yeah. basically, to, to revitalize those areas. Exactly. That makes so, sense. So there's a, a fabulously intelligent man who understood that hospitality industry was in the toilet and bought a bunch of those 1970s, what we would call roach motels, right? Mm -hmm. The, the two-story mm -hmm. motels with, mm -hmm. you know, maybe 107 doors or whatever the number is and uh, bought those for pennies on the dollar, uh, turned around and, and revamped them and turned them into micro units mm -hmm. and they were, they're all in opportunity zones. So Smart. all that money that he's making from his other investments, he's now Shoveling in there yeah. and not having to worry about capital gains, huh? Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, so definitely something that you should look into. There's a finite amount of time for it. Uh, so. And how do you get about starting an opportunity zone fund? Is that like a, at a bank or how do you get that going? Uh, that I don't know. Okay. From my understanding, it, well, this gentleman's is his own fund okay. with a bunch of other investors. So a bunch mm -hmm. of rich dudes. Something, yeah, together. <laughs> like I'm just curious how they designated as CPA will put together for yeah. you, right? Yeah. yeah. Interesting, huh? That yeah, I wish I, I wish I knew more about it. I, I do have a I do have a slide deck on it. Maybe that's maybe that's podcast number. What are we on? <laughs> I think let's just say twelve. <laughs> say eleven or twelve. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's the next one. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. I mean, I'd love to learn a little bit more. I, it's funny because 
I actually heard about Opportunity Zones on a Bigger Pockets podcast. Oh, yeah. I kind of blazed through it. And I found out I had a home that was across the street from the Opportunity oh, Zone. So I never, if it was in there, I would have looked into it a little bit more. But I'm literally across the street. It's on a, it's in West Slope on 91st. In oh, nice. Houston, yeah. So I'm right across the street from one. And I, <laughs> if, it, if I was on the other side, I would have dug in a little bit more. Yeah. But, but these are in like everywhere across the everywhere. country, right? So ba yeah. basically, if if you if you have something that you have a large capital gain on this year, you might want to think about yeah. reinvesting it into an opportunity zone, right? Or if you're selling real estate and instead of ten thirty one, uh, ten thirty one exchange, right? right. Look, in, look into the states that you know where short term rentals are killing it, like Nashville. Yeah. Right. Um, we've we've got a guy in our group who he only does short term rentals and not in our state. He only does them out of state, hmm. uh, sets up a, a team, boots on the ground, stager, photographer, landscape, property manager, uh, and just short term. But he took he took uh, gains from one home, uh -huh. uh, bought a property in an OZ. So instead of doing a 1031 and deferring, he just did the OZ and yeah. said, I don't have to pay. So yeah. you just have to buy within that year, basically, with those gains? Is that how it works? I don't, I'm not sure of the timeline. Okay. I'll have to check on that. Yeah. Because because if it passes the year yeah, that you pay capital gains, yeah, on, you have to pay capital gains for the year you sell, yeah. right? So oh, right, maybe right. maybe a little bit more of a, a longer timeline than a, than a 1031, which is, what is this, like 90 days, 60 days? A 1031 is, is 180 days. Today. That's it. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've never done one, so <laughs> I'm always <laughs> curious. I mean, all those, those nuanced things are, of course, we're not tax advisors. Those are all CPA things. But... The idea is is that yeah, it's like it's a better version of a ten thirty one. Yeah, and from my understanding is whatever money you're putting into it, like say you've you've put two hundred thousand into this this property uh, that you would have realized gains on. Well, a year later you can pull that two hundred thousand out. Mm. The fund still exists. Yeah. Right, but you've pulled your money out and you're not taxed on it. Wow. Really nice. This is how the rich get richer. <laughs> yeah, watch. I'm going to get a, a bunch of requests for the. Can you create a search for homes only in our community only zone? Can you draw the borders exactly to this street? There, there, there literally is a map. Yeah, I, yeah. I, like I said, I pulled up the map before just like checking. Oh, am I in one? Yeah. Huh. That, so, have you had a lot of clients and investors being like, "Hey, we want to target these this opportunity zone area," or is it not? Yeah. So I, I personally haven't either, but that's, I don't see why not. Yeah. Yeah. It's, maybe, it's, maybe a lot of them are kind of higher end and, and more expensive properties or something. I don't know. Well, there's a, I mean, look, just look at downtown Portland, right? Mm -hmm. We've got what, three hotels that are in foreclosure. Oh, really? Yeah. Right. So uh, I know there's, there's opportunity right. in Portland, not that anybody wants to be down there right now. Yeah. When there's blood in the streets, when you invest, right? And that's that is that is. <laughs> I mean, I'd say there's opportunity for sellers too. Let's just say you already have a home, and it happens to be an opportunity zone, and hey, maybe you have the right agent who can market to a buyer who's an investor who would happily pay over market because they get to shield some of their money. Right. You know? Yeah. So, uh, just in general, like if people are trying to reach you, how can they find you? Like social media wise or email? Social media. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. What's your handle? On my LinkedIn. On, on uh, Instagram. Instagram is uh, Tamika Realtor. Tamika Realtor. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
and my my LinkedIn used to be used to be a a police code for prisoner. <laughs> I, I found <laughs> it by, that. You can you can always find it by googling it too. Yeah, I found it. Yes, yeah, you can always Google me. There's there's not too many Tamikos out there. Great. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate your Thanks time for and, and sharing your expertise. Knowledge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've learned so much about man. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I learned a lot. Yeah. Hopefully, it was interesting. Oh, definitely. definitely was. Thanks for tuning in to the Realized Gains podcast. If you have any questions for our co-hosts or guests, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com.